Your attention, please. please. Listening to the AMPM podcast may cause recurring revenue streams and unfair, unfair advantages over your competitors. Other side effects may include better wallets, fired bosses, and longer vacations. Listen at your own risk. Here's your host, seven-figure entrepreneur and online marketing madman, Manny Coates. Manny Coates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the AMPM podcast. My name is Manny Coates, and I will be your host. And this is the show where we discuss all things Amazon private label and how to generate recurring revenue streams 24 hours per day during the AM and the PM, hence the name of the show. Get it? AM, PM podcast. As a matter of fact, I just got back, and I have all these little bug bites on my body. And I think they must have been from bed bugs or something from the hotel. Not sure, but if that's the case, while those little monsters were making lunch out of my body, I was making money. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. What's up, everybody? Manny Coates here, and I am here again with the famous Brad Mills. Brad, how you doing? Great, great. So this is part two of our podcast. The first one went pretty long. We answered a lot of questions. I should say Brad answered a lot of questions. I was just uh, here for the ride asking the questions. But um, we're taking a little, we're changing, we're diverting from the normal podcast. If you are just catching this one, uh, normally we're talking about Amazon, Amazon private label. And one of the things that I'm dabbling in now, guys, is cryptocurrency. So I want to do an episode, and it turned into two episodes here with Brad, on how you can take some of the earnings that you generate with Amazon and then move those into something pretty exciting. And I think this is one of those worlds, one of those, those new um, niches, I guess you could say, where it's kind of like if you could have invested in Amazon when it first came out and nobody knew what the heck it was, right? Or the internet, all those dot-coms back before anybody knew what a dot-com was. And, uh, and hopefully it doesn't bubble explode like it, uh, like it did with the dot-coms. But uh, that's what we're doing this episode um, and the previous episode for so that you guys can get informed. And we're going to have Brad come on on a somewhat regular basis to keep us all up to date on things. So Brad, that said, the first one was pretty awesome. You talked uh, about what uh, cryptocurrency is, um, what forking is, what all the different things are. But there's a lot of different questions here that I have that I want to kind of jump through pretty quickly. Okay. Is that cool with you? Yeah, just a quick comment though from uh, earlier when we did the first podcast. Mm-hmm. It was earlier in the day in the AM portion of the AM PM por- podcast. Now we're in the PM portion. <laughs> There's <laughs> already been a development. Uh-oh. Coinbase, one of the largest exchanges for Bitcoin and Ethereum, has commented on that Segwit 2x uh-huh. uh, debacle, and they've cited on the side of Bitcoin. So they're going to keep the original chain as BTC. And Segwit2x, if it forks, is going to have its own ticker name. So that's huge news for anybody that's on the no2x side or the original sort of like libertarian, uh, idealist, uh, philosophical side of Bitcoin. Because big business didn't win in this case. Now, it's still going to be a battle, but this, this has just happened in the last couple of hours. So I feel a lot more safe about people holding their coins at Coinbase now that they're actually going to do the responsible thing and keep Bitcoin as BTC. Okay. So for those of you that are wondering, in the first episode we did with Brad, he mentioned that he was going to be pulling, he's already in the process of pulling his cryptocurrency or Bitcoin specifically offline, putting it in cold storage because of this fork that's coming up in November. What was it? November what? 
Uh, it's going to be around the middle of November. There's no set date. It's a block number, so it okay. depends on how many blocks, you know, what time they get mined. All right, so you, he was saying get it off because a lot of crazy stuff could happen. He was already doing it. Now you're saying if you're on Coinbase and you put, you've got your coins, let's say, in their vault, their BTC vault, right. you, you would leave it there? You're okay with that? Now they've come on and commented on the Segwit2x. Yes, I would say it's, it's okay to leave it there. Okay. On, on Coinbase. But as a good general security practice with cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. if you don't own the Bitcoin unless you own the private keys, which means unless it's offline on a treasure or in cold storage in a wallet, a hard wallet or a software wallet where you only have the seed key and you, you control the private keys, mm -hmm. it's not your Bitcoin. Okay. All right. And so that was the big lesson I learned when I lost 90% of my cryptocurrency at Mt. Gox when I had it stored on the exchange and it went under. Yeah. 90%. Did you cry that night? <laughs> You know what? I, I felt, I felt, uh, I didn't feel too bad because it was all pixels. And that's the funny thing about this. It's just all pixels. Yeah. But yeah, but so it was pixels that you paid for. It was paid for pixels. Yeah. Promptly. How much was it worth? The 90% that you lost, what was the value of that at the time? At the time, I think it was a few hundred thousand dollars, something like that. So, okay. I mean, it was a decent chunk. What would that be worth today had you not lost all that and you still had them? That today would be worth about 4 million, 5 million, something oh. like that. Maybe now you want to cry. Maybe now you want to cry. Well, you know, I'm of the, <laughs> I've a, I always think my Bitcoins are worth what they're going to be in a few years. So at the time when I lost them, I was treating it as if, you know, it was as if it was already a few million at least, because I believe that Bitcoin is going to go to like 25K, 100K in the next three to five years. Right. So if I lost my Bitcoins now, it would be like, it would be like as if I lost them in five years. <laughs> That's, That's the way great. I feel about it. Yeah. Well, you know what? If you're right with your predictions, you guys on the first episode, he said, hey, I expect that Bitcoin, now you are certain, I think you used the word certain that Bitcoin will hit $100,000 within the next five years, right? I believe it will. Yeah. yeah. And that's why, so, so I sort of take this motto now, this is the new shirt I'm wearing. Please stay calm. <laughs> yeah. That's what you need to do that's in this industry. That's what you got to do in cryptocurrency because it's very volatile. You could invest and then the next day you're down 20%. Okay. So you just got to stay calm and hold. HODL, it's called. It's called what? HODL? Total, yeah. There you go. H-O-D-L. You'll see that a lot in the crypto chats and Twitter and stuff. So, so what are some of the terminology terms? What are the terms people should be familiar with? Give us like five or six that people really need to know. Well, if you're just investing in cryptocurrency, I mean, you're going to want to know the basics like blockchain, right? So a blockchain is just the technology that drives a lot of these cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin is the original blockchain. And then a lot of them forked away from Bitcoin to create Litecoin, et cetera, others that have their own blockchains. So you'll see a lot of people that are now using the buzzword blockchain technology expert or blockchain expert or whatever. And a lot of this is like businesses and people who are sort of marketers and stuff who are now trying to get into the space who don't really completely understand Bitcoin or don't want to align with Bitcoin, but they want to get exposure to the space. So you see blockchain everywhere, mm -hmm. but just know that Bitcoin is the blockchain. It's the original blockchain and most of all other cryptocurrencies that are based on a blockchain are based on Bitcoin, or at least the theory of the consensus mechanism that Satoshi Nakamoto came up with to make Bitcoin. Now, the other term is distributed ledger. So there's Ripple is a really big cryptocurrency right now, and that's a distributed ledger technology. The other one is a DAG. So a DAG is a directed acyclic graph. That's IOTA and uh, Gbyte, which is Byteball. So there's these different consensus mechanism technologies that you'll hear the, the phrasing like, oh, this isn't blockchain, this is Ledger, or this is a DAG or a Tangle. It's like, that's like the technology speak, but 
term uh, trading terminology, you'll hear a lot of things like um, drawdown or or capitulation or mark just different t- uh, terms for market cycles. So okay. I'd recommend everyone that's listening to this, if you want to get a good book, go to uh, uh, Audible and get uh, reminiscences of a stock operator. It's a book about the turn of the century, 1900s um, stock market. This this guy, um, I, the name slipping me, but this is famous, you know, early turn of the century stock trader about how he came up from uh, trading you know, small amounts of money in a bucket shop to becoming like a market maker on Wall Street. Mm. And it's full of terminology. And it actually is very reminiscent to what we're going through right now with blockchain and Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. So that book, Reminiscences of a Stock Operator, it's a really entertaining listen. And it'll get you like up to speed on how to think about the current cycle that we're in, which is the one of the greatest bull markets cycles of something that anybody can participate in in history interesting okay all right so you guys got to check that out that'd be really cool brad where is bitcoin right now what's the value we're closest is it around six thousand it's like 5900 i believe 5900 when do you think it's going to correct and people you know because it keeps going up we're <clears throat> waiting for it to drop again and why would it yeah drop? Well, okay, so that that's a good question, and like that's kind of what I try to do for my personal portfolio and for Alphabet is um, analyze the market, kind of see if we're if we're going to enter some kind of exhaustive move that ends up just correcting and coming back down and cooling off. But if you look at a lot of the fundamental factors, you, I don't think there's going to be anything in the near term for or like a serious correction back to like a thousand dollars. I feel like there's enough momentum happening and. I've got people that analyze Coinbase signups and Bittrex signups and the, and the exchanges signups. There's between 20,000 and 50,000 new users a day coming onto these exchanges. So like, it's massive growth. Like, it's, it's, there's, enough, there's enough demand from new people coming in to keep um, putting money into cryptocurrency, to keep like, discovering it and um, allocating some of their, their, their savings and their net worth into crypto that I don't think... I don't think we're going to see anything short term, but you got to always be prepared. Yeah. Mentally, at least. Right, right. Okay. Um, a lot of people that I've talked to that really don't know that much about cryptocurrency are saying, well, what makes this opportunity real versus, you know, a speculative market? You know, how is there value in something like this? You know, where it's, it is what it is, right? So how do you explain that to people? If somebody's curious about investing, because you're not actually buying anything. Yeah, I mean, it, it, for that question, you got to kind of go back to the basics of like, what is money? You know, when, when you ask somebody, what is money? Typically, you're going to get a response like either, oh, well, it's a dollar backed by gold or it's, it's, what, it's what the government tells me I have to pay my taxes in. And sometimes people just have never thought about that before. So half the people that, that think that the dollar is worth something because is, is because it's backed by gold don't even realize that the United States went off the gold standard like decades ago and that the dollar is backed by nothing. <laughs> so when you think about it from that sort of philosophical point of view, um, I mean, really, there's, there's nothing valuable about a dollar other than it's, uh, it's uh, Jason Hartman likes to say it's backed by the uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles <laughs> so like really you got to think what is what gives value to things that have value it's what people will uh, give for it in return right mm-hmm. so it's a it's a 
it's a sort of philosophical thing about like, well, I think it's worth this, so it is worth this when we're talking about free markets. Okay. And Bitcoin is a decentralized trust ledger. So it's the first time in history there's been a technology that allows you to store your value in something where you, do not, you don't have to trust anyone else. You don't have to trust a bank. You don't have to trust a government. It's provable that you have what you tell me that you have, right? So that's, that's a groundbreaking technology because there's never been something like that before. There's always had to be someone in the middle to say yes, right? And then with that comes regulation and control. So the same way that they can't shut down BitTorrent because it's decentralized and peer-to-peer, they're not going to be able to shut down Bitcoin. They've tried, and that's why it has value now, because it's, it's gone through this sort of trials and tribulations of governments trying to ignore it and shut it down. And, you know, oh, it's only used for dark markets and drugs. And right. we've gone beyond that. And now you're seeing a lot more institutional investors get on board. So when, when people ask, like, what is it real? I mean, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, but neither are dollars. And really, like, what is gold valuable for? Sure, some people use it for, like, electronics and microchips, but there's, there's really, like, it's not like you're buying a gold brick to use. You're just right. storing your value in it. But with a dollar, you know, it doesn't go from a dollar to being worth 20 cents overnight. And with right. Bitcoin, you've got these massive fluctuations sometimes. Like you said, yeah. it could go from 6,000 down to 1,000. At what point does it stabilize? I mean, is it just a, a certain number of people that need to be invested in this before it finally starts you know you're seeing small increments every day so if if anybody wants to follow a really good guy that talks about this there's two guys i'd recommend there's a uh, willy woo he's at woonomic on twitter and then there's chris bernisk if that's the way his name is <laughs> uh chris b cb insights is his uh is his twitter handle okay so these two guys are like smart economic economists economists sorry you got it <laughs> that that yeah i did it i need more coffee um that really dive into the data on this stuff mm. so willie's got this chart that i like to show people and it it compares bitcoin volatility to the volatility of other asset classes and yeah there's going to be a lot of fluctuation for a long time mm. and once we start to approach the m1 sort of money supply where it's a where it's a like peer-to-peer money that is used just common every day mm. it's not going to be as volatile because there's going to be a lot more like weight and stability now when do you like, think right that's going to be how many years I, from now i think that's probably five that's that's what i'm thinking like five years in five years when that happens you'll get a really high price but it'll be a stable price okay. because it's going to be used for like not just store of value but also like transactions right right okay so and the more transaction load you have on a currency the more stability you have okay so a hundred thousand dollars hopefully within five years and then you and that's just so that's just my guess right like right. nobody really knows this yeah. but that's just the theory of it is like once there's more people using it and this is a global currency there's going to be less volatility because the same way that the dollar and the, and the euro and different countries currencies still fluctuate wildly they're just not as big okay cool you know? all right so I've got some questions. We're going to bang through these. There's a lot of them here. So let's do this. This is from our Facebook group. Okay. We mentioned this in the last episode. If you guys want to join the Facebook group, you can do that by going to ampmpodcast.com forward slash Bitcoin. All right, guys. So Marianne asks, what type of strategies are there when it comes to managing your account? Should we treat them like CD, short-term investments, 401ks, long-term, penny stocks, You know, doing day trading? What do you recommend? I think I know the answer to this. Well, really, the, the answer there is whatever your specialty is. If you're familiar with trading, if you know how to short-term swing trade, if you're, if you're familiar with managing your own accounts, 
I'd say then you can apply those same strategies to the cryptocurrency markets. There's over a thousand cryptocurrencies right now. Mm. So you can be a swing trader if you're coming from the Forex world or something like that. Mm -hmm. You can swing trade Bitcoin because it's very volatile, which means there's a lot to play with. Okay. So people who are, who are used to that sort of thing, they can come in and swing trade. If you're like a, like a more of a, I guess, a, a, an entrepreneur and you're focused on your business and growing your business and you don't really have a lot of time to pay attention to these markets, you just want to plug into it and get some exposure, then you can like invest in, say, um, the GBTC on, on, the, uh, on the stock market. It's actually the, the Grayscale Bitcoin Investment Trust. So you can get exposure to the Bitcoin gains without having to pay taxes on it. Um, when you take it out. So a couple of friends of mine had invested in GBTC last year and they're up 10 X on their, on their uh, Roth IRA account. So wow. you can do that or you can just buy and hold Bitcoin. Okay. Now there's also like, if you're invested, if you're used to investing in startups, if you're an angel investor or whatever, you can take the same approach and then you can just fundamentally look and say, I like this because it's a privacy coin or mm -hmm. XMR or Monero. I'm going to invest 5% of my portfolio there. Okay. Um, I would say, Another book, if anybody wants to kind of get a primer on this, if they if they want to get in and more do like that management style where they're they're taking more of an active approach, then Trend Following by Michael Covell is a really good primer on it, and The Complete Turtle Trader by Michael Covell. Those are two really good books that kind of will teach you um, some some safe rules to start off with that'll make sure that you're not going all in on one coin or you know somebody will be like right now. There's this uh, coin if it's it's being promoted all over Facebook by affiliate marketers and network marketers. Um, Ether, it's like they're trying to rip off the name Ethereum. I don't know if you've seen it. It's like uh, I can't Etheronium or something like that. Uh, and like that can fool somebody into say, oh, it's only a penny. I'm going to put all my Bitcoin in that because it's going to go 10x. And yeah, I mean, any book that will help you come up with some fundamental rules to mm -hmm. sort of stick by until you're more familiar. Do not just go all in on random coins and ICOs because you're going to end up losing your money like I did in the beginning when I was going all in on positions and then. Gotcha. It'll, it'll hurt. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So if somebody wants to get into ICOs, they, they really don't know anything about the industry and they want somebody that's like you that studies this thing and just really knows what they're doing and want to manage something, manage their entire account. They got 10 grand. They just want to have somebody else do it. Well, where do they go? Who do you recommend? So right now, for somebody that wants to put a small amount in, mm -hmm. there's not really a good option. Okay. And that's kind of what I wanted to create a year and a half ago when I decided I wanted to start algorithmic trading and stuff. And then that led me to actually just partnering with Alphabet and, and joining the Alphabet team and, and helping with that. But that's for accredited investors, like 100,000 minimum. So for a lot of like friends and family, um, I do just recommend buy and hold Bitcoin and forget about it and just okay. make sure it's safe and you keep your keys. But like. A couple of suggestions if you want to think about ICOs and follow the news or whatever. Um, I mean, maybe we can start something, Manny. Maybe we can help uh, help people with some suggestions eventually. Maybe we can do this more more often. Okay. But there's a couple of guys right now that are doing it. There's uh, Carter Thomas and uh, Ian Bellina. Mm -hmm. And if you just follow those guys on Twitter, like they're currently doing that right now where they're always doing videos and like giving their thoughts on the, the latest and greatest ICOs. So... If you want to start small, just find some influencers and follow them. And then maybe we'll continue doing this and give some more tips on specific like ICOs and cool. write I, them. Or I would love to do that. Yeah. To have you on on a regular basis. And, and as long as the people that are part of our 
our podcasts, you know, that listen to on a regular basis are interested in this, um, we can do that. Or we can spin it off into something it's on its own, you know, a crypto yeah, I mean, podcast. I'm already reviewing these things all, enough already. Like I've, I've four or five of them a day coming across my virtual desk here that I'm trying to yeah. <laughs> figure out what I should invest yeah. in or not. You look like you're part of the dark web right there. You got the, you know, <laughs> you're all bright, dark, uh, dark room. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So. I don't have any money. I don't even have <laughs> enough money to like finish my walls. There you go. go. Me. <laughs> All right. So Brad, Ben asks, and, I, and we kind of answered this one in the first episode, says I have 500 pounds. Should I choose Bitcoin, Ethereum, or something else? You said, put it all in Bitcoin. So I don't think you've changed your mind in the last four hours, right? I would choose carrots and cardio. <laughs> there we go. If you have 500 pounds. Yeah, nice. <laughs> you know what? You and I, this is a little known fact. It's almost embarrassing to say, but back in the day when we were running our app business, we would get on the Xbox and we'd be doing exercise while we were like playing games. <laughs> remember that? B90X. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like trying to do like the elliptical while, uh, while playing. Uh, what was that game I we remember. were playing? What was that? You, had, you were playing on your iPad too. We were playing Destiny. Yeah, Destiny. That was yeah, it. Destiny yeah, Destiny was a shooter. Fun. Perfect. Yeah. All right, guys. So Liron says, all right, here's a great one. A lot of people don't know what this what is. What did you say? He had 500 pounds and then what? What was the real, what was the real question? I forgot. Oh, I don't no, know. No. It's, yeah. You know, should he choose Bitcoin, Ethereum or something else? And you said, you know, you're, you're in all, you're Bitcoin all the way. Uh, yeah. I'd say if you really don't want to like think too hard about it, just go to the top 10, um, even the top five, uh -huh. just split it up amongst those. You Who, know, who's who's the top? Okay. So you got Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin. Who would be the other two? Bitcoin Cash and Ripple and Monero and um, I mean Bitcoin Cash. I I just posted about this earlier today. Like I've been selling Bitcoin Cash this whole time. I held a little bit of it. That was the one that hard forked in August, and it was where the the sort of like earlier, um, more emotional, more like um, less technically savvy Bitcoin people that wanted to push for the big blocks right away and couldn't get their way. They split off, mm -hmm. and they've attracted a lot of like fundamentalists like almost religious followers to Bitcoin Cash. And that is probably going to be worth something in, in you know, the, the next year or two. Like, okay. it's probably going to go to 1,000, 2,000 or something like that. It's only about 300 right now. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to sell all my Bitcoin Cash. I'm going to keep some of my Bitcoin Cash. But we got a, Coinbase has half a million Bitcoin Cash right now. And that, they're at $300. So what is that? $300 million worth of Bitcoin Cash mm -hmm. or... Or whatever, however the zeros, however many zeros that is, it's quite a lot that that's going to be dumped on the market when, because most of the Bitcoin holders on Coinbase are going to sell their Bitcoin cash when they get it, when they finally get it unlocked from Coinbase. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a lot of sell pressure on, on the market. So the price is not going to go up. It, you know, a lot of people think that it's like the Chinese government and um, the big miners, like the big Chinese miners, like Jihan Wu owns Bitmain. They're propping up the price of Bitcoin cash. And they're, they're the only ones mining Bitcoin Cash. Like, there's not a lot of natural miners on that blockchain to secure it. So that's true, and that, that's sort of speculation, but I can see it being true. So if you were them, right, and your mandate was to sort of replace Bitcoin with the Chinese Bitcoin, which is Chinese or Bitcoin Cash, right, and you wanted to have this control over this cryptocurrency, are you going to, like, support the price while these... $300 million worth of it's going to get dumped on the market, or are you just going to wait for those people to get the, cat, the Bitcoin cash and dump it and let it go down to 100 bucks, and then you buy it all, and then you pump it to 2000 So that's the sort of theory you got to think about behind some of these things. I wouldn't be buying Bitcoin cash at these levels because <laughs> there's going to be a tsunami of sells once Coinbase opens it up. Mm -hmm. And then once the, all the sellers are out, 
you got all those people that hate Bitcoin Cash that are like motivated to dump it. They're out of the market. Then you can buy some up and then it'll be less of a risk of it going to zero. It'll it'll probably go back up to here or, or higher. What do you think it's going to drop drop to? I mean, I, I was predicting $80 when so it first came out. 300 to 80? It came out at 800 and I predicted 80 and I was wrong with 80. I started selling around 800, uh-huh. but I mean, I sold like a good chunk of it at 800. And then I bought a little bit more at, at 350 because I was like, maybe I made the wrong move here because the sentiment shifted around Bitcoin Cash. There wasn't as many people hating on it as there was before. Mm-hmm. So I bought a little more, but obviously I shouldn't have because it's continued to go down. But hey, such is life. That's trading. Mm-hmm. But, okay. you know, I could see $80. But again, don't, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like a real uh, philosophical um, stigma. What's that word? Not stigma. Um, stickler. Right. Yeah. So I don't like philosophically, I don't like Ethereum and I don't like Bitcoin Cash. When are these I'll coins talk. going on the market? You're talking about a big dump. Everybody's dumping. When is that going to happen? That's I think it's going to be first quarter 2018. I'd have to research that um, Coinbase hasn't set a specific date yet, but okay. they're the last holdouts. Really, they hold the most amount of Bitcoin Cash for customers and they're the last ones to, to put it. Why are they available? Holding it? Well, there's been some speculation that Bitcoin, that uh, Coinbase actually didn't have the reserves that they said they had. So one way to prove your reserves for Bitcoin is to when there's these chain splits, if you have 500,000 Bitcoin, if you say you have 500,000 Bitcoin, then you're also going to have 500,000 Bitcoin cash for your customers. So if you can't give Bitcoin cash, then some people think, well, that means you don't have 500,000 Bitcoin, right? Mm. Because it's a one to one split. So one of the theories is that Coinbase was sort of not, they weren't holding all the Bitcoins they claimed they were holding, and therefore they can't give all the Bitcoin cash they need to give out. So what they're trying to do is delay giving it out so they can acquire enough of it on the market so that they can meet the reserves. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it would make sense. You know, if Occam's razor suggests, right, like every other exchange has, Mm -hmm. has been able to provide their Bitcoin cash to their clients, well, why hasn't Coinbase? They say it's because of technical difficulties and um, whatever. Like they, they initially said that they weren't going to even bother giving their customers Bitcoin Cash because they didn't support it. But then enough people threatened to sue them that they said, okay, we're going to give it to you. It's just going to be a longer timeline while we figure it out. So I, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question, and I don't know the answer to that one. Okay. But giving you that answer kind of makes my, my earlier answer of saying, oh, it's okay to keep your money at Coinbase a little bit suspect <laughs> because if they, if they didn't have the Bitcoins, to, you know, maybe maybe take some of your bitcoins off there. There you go. Again, every exchange. I, I mean, I don't know who. The, I don't care who they are. I don't trust any exchange anymore. Okay. You know, it's not your bitcoin unless you control the private keys. If you're just buying to invest long term, mm-hmm. take it off the exchange. It right, doesn't so matter how trustworthy they let's are. Let's talk about that. Taking it off. Okay, that's cold storage, right? You say take it off, put it into cold storage. People don't know what that means. Can you explain cold storage? Well, actually, cold storage is even um, one step more. Um, secure than just taking it off the exchange and putting it on your own computer. Okay. So there's there's been a lot of like zero day exploits leaked this year. Um, just last week there was that Wi-Fi uh, vulnerability found. Like there's constantly hacks and like um, NSA zero day exploits being dropped from you know on the black market where then like hackers will be able to use this to gain access to your computer or snoop on your traffic or whatever. So <clears throat> cold storage is a way of disconnecting your Bitcoin from the internet. So that's why it's called cold storage. Is you, you're taking the Bitcoin, the private keys, 
you're generating them on an offline computer that has never touched the internet. So you buy a brand new computer straight out of the box and use a wallet like Armory Wallet, and you're and you're actually like having a second sort of like layer of security by generating your wallet. What's on, a wallet? What's a wallet? A wallet. Wallet is just that long string of numbers and letters that re it represents your Bitcoin address. Okay. So that's that's the Bitcoin address, and the wallet is the actual file that your computer makes when you know you open up the program. Okay. So like Electrum is a is a Bitcoin wallet. Um, Armory is a Bitcoin wallet. You can have SPV nodes, which are like mobile wallets, where it doesn't need to ha have the whole blockchain on it because the blockchain is like 150 gigabytes now. You can't put that on a phone. Mm -hmm. You can put it on a computer, but you know if you if you want to be like extremely secure, you'll download a program that allows you to like generate a Bitcoin wallet offline, off the internet, air gapped from a, from this never touches the internet, and then send your bitcoins from the exchange to that wallet, and that's called cold storage. <clears throat> so just in general, like if you don't want to get that secure about it. You can just go to Trezor.io, T-R-E-Z-O-R, T-R-E-Z-O-R, Trezor.io, mm -hmm. and get a hardware device. Um, I, don't have, I don't have it here, but it's just like a little key. It kind of looks like this. Mm -hmm. And it's just a small little device that has like security built in. So you can plug it in to your computer. And even if your computer is infected with viruses and you're at an unsecure airport Wi-Fi or whatever, you can still transact on Bitcoin and your and your your like devices securing it from all that stuff. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so that's probably the safest like mid ground way for someone to protect their cryptocurrency wealth is to use like a Trezor or a Ledger. Are those and the then, ones you have to actually press a button or something to make it work yeah, as well? So so it shows you on the screen like sometimes what what will happen with these um, malware is like you'll be sending it from your Coinbase account, say, to your wallet, right? And the the script will actually, like, change the, the, the digits on your screen so that you think you're sending your Bitcoins to your wallet, but you're actually sending it somewhere else. So <clears throat> when you use these devices, it shows the screen, it shows the wallet address on the screen, and it makes sure you can just double-check to make sure that you're not being, um, like, man-in-the-middle attacked. Mm -hmm. So the, it's just an extra layer of security, and... They have some other neat features too, like you know you can set up um you can set up a other other coins you can you can store other coins on there like litecoin and and ethereum and stuff like that. It's not just a bitcoin wallet they they also let you store some of the altcoins too okay, and I noticed that coinbase said something about ninety eight was it ninety eight percent or ninety nine percent of their customers do not store things online they store it in, they have it in store cold storage and they even say that it's like uh, in security boxes or something do you I mean, if you have this at your house on this key and your house burns down, are you screwed? Well, if you didn't back up the private keys, then yes, you are screwed. But like, so for instance, what Coinbase is talking about is like, they hold basically like a full reserve of all Bitcoins. And most, like 99% of their customers don't access their Bitcoins and they, they don't require access to their Bitcoins because they're just holding it there as a vault. And they take nine, and they take that percentage of bitcoins and they store it in cold storage. So, have you ever heard the term "run on the bank"? Yes. You know, when when in Venezuela or like any country where the economy is doing bad, and banks hold fractional reserves of the money, all banks do, right? So, if you deposit a million dollars at the bank account, they're allowed to then keep ten percent fractionally, 
in reserves and then issue the rest out in new loans and stuff. So 1 million turns into 10 million. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if now, if all 10 people come to take out their $10 million, there's only 1 million in the bank. So nobody, you know, that's when the banks have to shut down because it's, it's a run on the bank. Like there's not enough money to back up Mm -hmm. the cash that's owed out. So with Bitcoin, you can verify that, the exchange has that kind of money. So like tether.io is one of the, is, you'll see USDT in some of the exchanges. So like Bitfinex, if you trade on Bitfinex or Bittrex, there's markets that trade with US dollars, like Bitcoin to dollars, but they're actually using USDT. And now that's a really interesting currency. So that's Bitcoin, uh, that's cryptocurrency dollars. So cryptocurrency dollars are dollars that trade on a blockchain. And they're backed by dollars in a bank somewhere. So <clears throat> Tether, the company, has $420 million in a bank, in bank accounts, right? Mm-hmm. And therefore, there's $420 million or million dollars worth of USDT on the exchanges and floating. So you can verify that there's the full, you know, the, that there's the, the amount of USDT available on the blockchain as they say they have in the banks, but you cannot verify that they have that in the bank, right? Because there's, there's no blockchain for banks yet. Mm-hmm. That's what cryptocurrency hopefully going to solve one day. So in the meantime, there's these USD tethers that you can trade like Bitcoins, but that actually represent one to one dollars. Now with, with cryptocurrency exchanges, you can provably have a full reserve on the blockchain by verifying that you've got these coins in this address. <clears throat> so I don't know if Coinbase does that, but there are some exchanges that will provably, you know, have the amount of bitcoins that they say they have, mm-hmm. and that way everything is all reconciled, and you know that there's no fun, fanny, fancy like uh, fractional reserve Bitcoin banking happening. Gotcha. All right. So if I download everything to this this key, this this wallet, or the sorry, uh, what's it called? What's the uh, uh, device? You can call it a hard wallet. A hard wallet. Okay. Yeah. The hardware wallet. You would back it up somewhere else as well? Yeah. So once you set up your treasure, they're going to give you 24 words to write down on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And you can write that down and put it in a safe or you can give it to your lawyer or you can put it you know, with a bank mm-hmm. at the safe or whatever. But as long as you even remember those 24 words, mm-hmm. you don't need to have files or anything. Like you can have $100 million just in 24 words in your head with Bitcoin. Now, where do you use those words? When you're going to restore your wallet, you'll restore by entering those 24 words in sequence, uh-huh. and that will that will regenerate your your wallet for you on the blockchain because it's it's the it's the private key to your public key. Your public uh-huh. key is your public wallet where people send you Bitcoin, uh-huh. right? Like that's the address mm-hmm. that is generated when you want to receive Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and then the private key is the either the file or the 24 word seed phrase or password or whatever sort of like method you've used to back it up, you can input that back into the wallet, like either into the Trezor or Exodus wallet or any of these wallets, and then it'll restore your Bitcoins for you. So since they're storing these 24 words online somewhere, doesn't that make it susceptible to being hacked? No, it's not stored anywhere. It's just uh, through through the algorithms. So that's like the beauty of this encryption, the SHA-256 encryption algorithms mm-hmm. and stuff, right? So like it's never stored anywhere. Okay. It's just, it's like, if you forget your words, there's nobody that you can contact to get the words right. back, right? If you forget your password to your Bitcoin wallet, there's no one you can call to get the password. Okay. So it's all mm-hmm. encrypted. So would, at least today, it would be impossible to, to crack that encryption. Is that right? Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the 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 fear is that like when quantum computing happens, that it'll crack the Bitcoin SHA two fifty six algorithm, and then everybody will be able to generate the private key to all the public keys, and then everybody like the confidence will be lost. Nobody will trust Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. But that algorithm, the SHA two fifty six algorithm. It's what runs the entire internet, basically. Yeah. So, like, every bank account and, like, every internet service would all be screwed. So, like, <laughs> Bitcoin is only 150 billion, 100 billion market cap thing right now. <laughs> like, you imagine if, like, Everything's... all banks in the world suddenly got, got their algorithms right. broken. <laughs> it would be a lot more to worry about. So, let's say somebody's buying Bitcoin. They're linking their bank account. They're doing everything. Do you recommend that they run some kind of malware checker or something on their system first? I mean, what do you run any kind of anti-malware on your system at all? Yeah, I run malware bytes, malware bytes. and okay. I have uh, Norton 360 active on all my devices and I have a VPN that I use for hiding my my traffic and securing myself against insecure Wi-Fi. Okay. All right. So get everything into a hard wallet and then store that somewhere safe. Take that piece of paper that has your 24 words, either memorize it or put it into a uh, a safe somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I suggest just giving one to your lawyer if you have a lawyer or mm -hmm. if not, just get an account at a, at a bank or, or bury it in the backyard. Like, it, do, it just, it doesn't really matter what you do with it, just as long as you back it up somewhere. It's even better, even though you shouldn't, it's even better to store it in a password manager or something than to not back it up and not write it down. Right. Like, you shouldn't put it in a password manager because then if someone compromised that manager or, or has access to your system, mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you're giving them the seed to, to your millions and millions of bitcoin wealth mm -hmm. so don't do that but it's better than not you know doing okay. it so let's say i buy I, I get up to where i have you know a hundred bitcoin right and it's now ten thousand dollars a pop okay okay so i've got what is that a million dollars a million dollars a million of, bucks a mil, i'm a millionaire Manny. so how much can i sell at a time let's say i'm like oh man i want to get rid of all this right now and cash out can you cash all of it out at once yeah, the market is trading at this point like $4 billion, $5 billion in a 24-hour period. So to get rid of a million dollars is easy. Okay. You can't do that. Like on Coinbase, they have limits, right? Like you can only do X amount per week or something yeah, like that? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be selling a large chunk like that, mm -hmm. then you'd want to go with an OTC broker, which is OTC stands for over-the-counter. Okay. And it's just a type of trading where... You're not actually selling on the market, but you're using market prices and like an index of market prices to mm -hmm. get a fair price between the ask and the and the bid. Okay. So the buy and the sell. So you'll use like there's a circle is one of them and Cumberland Mining is another one. And these are like reputable, well-known Bitcoin OTC brokers. And you can just KYC with them. So it's, you know, you got to you got to go through the KYC AML um, process. So you got to verify. And What's a KYC? Then, know your customer so it's like anti-money laundering laws okay so in, in order for them to operate legally they have to know their customer and they have to have like passport and you know <clears throat> be able to report to the irs if if they ask um and just follow these these sort of like anti-money laundering like anti-terrorism laws that have kind of like are actually stifling a lot of uh money startups because it's very onerous to like or onus or whatever the word is. Mm -hmm. It's like a very tough uh, expense to have to sort of deal with. Like a lot of startups in fintech are spending like hundreds of thousands of dollars on compliance. So anyway, okay, you can do it. It's just you gotta you gotta dox yourself. Okay. How how quickly once you the money hits Coinbase? Let's say I'm using Coinbase and it's now deposited there. Do you typically pull it and put it onto a, a hard wallet? Do you do it like right away? 
No, so I'm trading a lot. Like I'm a, I'm trading probably a few thousand times a month. Actually, last the last two months I've been trading a lot less. Maybe like one or two times a day. Maybe five times a week. Um, so before I was trading, when I was using the algorithms, I was trading more like, you know, hundred, 200 times a day. So, but regardless, like I, I'm looking for liquidity and I'm going in and out of positions. So I'm actually keeping a lot of my coins on exchanges. Now I, I, you know, I have this like working capital, right. That I'm using to trade my portfolio with, and it's exposed to the counterparty risk of exchanges going down. So if you're not going to be trading like me, then I'd recommend taking it off. Like as soon as you buy it, just in the next day or whatever, just mm-hmm. take it off and put it on your wallet because you're not going to need it. Okay. What, what are the, and we'll, let's kind of bang through these because there's about five or six more questions I want to get through. But cool. Do it. What are the top three wallets you'd recommend? Um, so Electrum is a good wallet for Mac and PC. Uh, Exodus is a beautiful wallet that uh, has the ability to swap to other cryptocurrencies natively in the wallet. So you can put Bitcoin in your Exodus wallet. It looks beautiful. It's like if if Apple built a Bitcoin wallet, um, then if you want to, say, buy some Litecoin or Ethereum or whatever, you can actually swap it straight in the wallet. You don't even have an, have an exchange account. So Exodus is a really good one. And then Trezor itself is a wallet. So buy a Trezor for sure. Trezor. And then if you want to have something on your phone, um, you know, I would, I would normally recommend, um, bread wallet, but bread wallet sort of supports the two X fork. So I don't really trust recommending them anymore mm-hmm. until they come out against the two X fork. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you have your coins on bread wallet and then all of a sudden they're claim that, you know, they're saying that your bitcoins are Segwit two X now, but Segwit two X is only worth $50 mm-hmm. a coin. You're going to be pretty pissed off when you're six thousand dollar bitcoin is now all of a sudden only worth fifty dollars because they supported this segwit 2x fork <clears throat> so you got to be careful about the wallets that you use yeah i would i wouldn't use bread wallet in fact i probably wouldn't be using i mean green address is one and samurai wallet is one if you really want to have a a, a a bitcoin wallet on your google you know phone or whatever just samurai wallet's a good one they support bitcoin okay Ricky asks, uh, what's the best cold storage wallet? What would be the top ones you recommend? You already, Trezor, you said was uh, been coming up multiple times. Well, Trezor is not really a cold storage wallet. That's a hardware wallet. Okay. Um, Armory is probably the best cold storage wallet. And then, I mean, you can, you can use any wallet. You can use the Bitcoin.org, you know, just Bitcoin core client um, for cold storage. Cold storage is more about the method of, generating your keys offline so armory is is the one i would recommend because that's the one that most people use for cold storage armory okay um but it's a complicated process like it's tough to to figure that out even if you're a technical person and just getting your first getting into bitcoin initially like i think a trezor or or a ledger is probably all you need okay what's going to be the next big thing you think in terms of like the world what uh no not the world brad um in terms of the actually, year 2018 is gonna be pretty good the what the what the end the year 2018 is gonna be big yeah what's happening yeah. in 2018 oh life man all right all right um <laughs> where where do you think what is gonna be happening with bitcoin 10 years from now oh that's a tough one to predict like 10 years from now if 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 things are going as planned 
Bitcoin is going to be just ubiquitous as as the internet is, mm. and it's going to be something that the average person is using that they don't even realize they're using. Just like um, everybody right now has a Facebook account, and having a Facebook account is just normal life, mm-hmm. and you're logging into. Th- websites and stuff without even realizing or noticing that you're using Facebook connect. And actually it's using your like identity of your Facebook account as your, as your account at these different sites. Mm-hmm. Hopefully what's going to happen is that the Bitcoin blockchain is either going to be just integrated into our financial lives at a protocol level where like, you know, you'll be at a bank account and you can have your money in dollars or Bitcoin, or it will be dollars on the Bitcoin blockchain and you just don't even realize it. So, that's that's what I'm hoping, but it's too far out to predict. Okay. I mean, what are yeah, the, what are the current far. what are the current biggest risks to crypto right now? You think? I mean, hackers or using bad wallets or linking your bank account to a. I think to crypto or to Bitcoin because there's two. I was thinking crypto in general, but let's talk about Bitcoin. Yeah. Like I feel like Bitcoin as Bitcoin is just a big experiment. It's a social experiment to see if we can evolve the concept of money to something that like works just same as the internet works, right? Like Mm -hmm. a decentralized, trustless money, like to see if that actually worked, um, that would be revolutionary, right? It's, it's a hundred billion market cap right now. We could get to a few trillion market cap before we know if the experiment even worked, Mm. but we're going to have all these attacks along the way. And now Bitcoin keeps getting attacked. Like one of the biggest threats to Bitcoin could be a hostile government. So if a government really didn't want Bitcoin to succeed, they could 51% attack the network. And all they'd need to do is acquire 51% of the total hash power and attack the network with that. So what that means is like there's miners that secure the Bitcoin network, right? And all blockchain networks. And these miners run specialized hardware that like, validate transactions and keep the keep the blockchain secure and like build blocks one on top of another to make sure that all the previous blocks have the same proper history right Mm -hmm. if you own 51 percent of that hash power you can start building blocks faster than the rest of the network and then you can start faking transactions and rearranging the previous transactions and it just basically renders the whole thing meaningless because you can start double spending Mm -hmm. where like you can send me one bitcoin I get the Bitcoin, but then you're so fast that you're, you're, you control 51% of the network that you can then also spend that and send it to someone else. So now two Bitcoins went to two different people or mm-hmm. one Bitcoin went to two different people. So that's the biggest threat, I think, is a hostile government or somebody that has like um, a bad actor that acquires more than 51% of the Bitcoin network and decides to put all of that power towards breaking it. Now, it's a, it's a massive undertaking to do that because at this point th- there's more computer power and and processing power securing the bitcoin network than there are computer out, um program or computer processors and and processing power for all of google like the the bitcoin network is the biggest strongest processing network on the planet right now so what kind of country do you think has the ability to do this if they want china to? Mm-hmm. china could do it the united states could do it mm-hmm. I mean, it's not going to be easy. And hopefully what we will see is like a hash war where it's like a where we'll see like a currency war, but the currency will be Bitcoin, just like we're seeing a gold currency war right now and a fiat currency war with like countries devaluing themselves against other um, currencies. We'll see that with Bitcoin where it becomes like an arms race to like um, get the most amount of Bitcoin hash power and get the most amount of Bitcoin reserves. So we're already starting to see this happen with 
Um, Russia invested $100 million or is investing $100 million, they just announced last month, into Bitcoin mining. Japan just announced with GMO that they're, inv they're investing $100 million into mining. NVIDIA came out with like a Bitcoin um, initiative where they're going to start investing more into Bitcoin mining hardware. Mm. And China, of course, already has that. They have more than 51%. They're like the leader in Bitcoin chips right now. So they sell the chips, but it's not all controlled by the Chinese government or mm. the Chinese companies. It's like they're the leader in manufacturing Bitcoin chips, but they sell them all over the world. Mm -hmm. But now we're starting to see this arms race develop. So hopefully that the free market effect, you know, free market economy sort of like philosophy wins of the day here. And it just becomes competition and it further decentralizes because more governments and countries want to get involved. Mm -hmm. The other thing is like Sybil attacks and um, like what we're seeing with Segwit2x. If the business community got together and were able to influence the direction of Bitcoin to censor Bitcoin in some way, to control Bitcoin in some way, that would totally destroy this experiment of decentralized money that has no influencers and nobody that can control it. If some business guys are able to come together now with like their hundreds of millions in value and just say, well, we want Bitcoin to do this and this and this. And if they win, that's what Segwit2x is. So that will basically mean that this whole experiment was was kind of a failure. Sure, blockchain technology is going to be valuable and we'll probably still see it be worth more and more, but it would be very disappointing to see that some group can influence the direction of Bitcoin um, to, to take away that decentralization, which is what makes it so valuable. All right. Okay. All right. You mentioned mining a few times. For those of the, the listeners that do not know what mining is, you used to mine back in the day. I remember you had yep. a, a big setup. What is that? What does that mean? So it's like uh, with PayPal, right? There's there's money that works on the internet and the only reason that works is because paypal is is the central sort of like arbiter of of the transactions so paypal processes the transactions with their centralized servers and they also can do refunds and <clears throat> chargebacks and they have to sort of be, be the middle you know the control of of um of of paypal and the, the transactions they process it all e-gold was another electronic currency back in the early 2000s where it was like um, a centralized electronic currency that was backed by gold and that was really interesting i used to use that as like a, a youngster i guess in my in my late teens early 20s or whatever I just adopted that technology too way before bitcoin because i liked it it was interesting it was like money on the internet mm -hmm. but what happened there was that it got so much transaction volume that what they did was they actually stored gold in a in a vault that so they backed gold they backed the e gold by gold in a vault so you could like trade these fractional um, electronic units of gold as currency and it was centralized so once it got to a certain transaction volume and it grew large enough the FBI shut it down arrested everybody said they were using it for child porn and drugs and everything and whatever they're going to try to do to like shut it off and they did they shut it down so that's like, you know, centralization is when a company controls the servers and controls the processes, right? Like Napster was shut down because Napster controlled the servers, right? With Bitcoin, you know, they've, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto was able to come up with this consensus mechanism that has game theory where you have enough incentive to, to act as a server to process transactions and earn Bitcoin for doing that, that you're not going to also like attack the network. So it's like this delicate balance between miners acting in their own economic interests to like earn money and because they're actually spending power. Like it's very expensive to mine a Bitcoin. 
it costs about $1,000 in power to mine a Bitcoin right now to generate one Bitcoin. So they have a sunk cost and a hard cost. So they're going to be operating with that hard cost in mind. And they're mm -hmm. going to they're going to like process transactions for the Bitcoin network as you're sending them around. The miners process the transactions. Mm. So it's a really awesome, like interesting shift that happened that allowed it to be something that could run decentralized. And that would incentivize people like me back in the early days to just run this code and like act as a server for the network. The same way that you're like BitTorrent, mm -hmm. the same thing. You're sharing okay. files back and forth, right? So, you're incentivized to keep that up because you get free movies. Right. So somebody, exactly. So, <laughs> so somebody who has this entire setup, they have all these crazy servers and they were doing this, you know, a year ago. Mm -hmm. And now you got Bitcoins that are worth three times as much. Are they making three times as much money as they were a year ago? Yeah. So what happens is this cycle that always happens with Bitcoin. It's this is this uh, profitability cycle. So Bitcoin price goes up, Bitcoin mining becomes really profitable, and then more Bitcoin miners come on the system and like join up and buy Bitcoin mining equipment to become miners. And then the difficulty goes higher. So the algorithm changes as more and more mining um, processing power comes on the network, and the cryptographic like equations get harder to solve. Mm. So it just keeps, it's this competing process. Mm. And then if there's a major correction, well then the Bitcoin price goes way down. It's no longer profitable for all these new guys that came in. Mm. So most of them will drop off or they'll just continue mining until their hardware is not worth as much as it was because the algorithm will change based on how many people are mining. Mm. So yeah, the people that were mining last year are like up 10X on the Bitcoins they mined last year because it's worth 10 times as much. Yeah. And a lot of these miners are like, they're paying their bills, but they're also speculators. Like they're speculating that Bitcoin's going to be worth a lot more one day. And now it's paying off for them. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, cool. What would be some reputable sources? You, you mentioned several books, some people to follow on Twitter. You mentioned some guys that are, uh, you know, social influencers to follow. Anybody else or any places, reputable sources that provide objective information about various kinds of cryptocurrency? Two or three? Well, I, I would stay away from Bitcoin.com. Okay. Because Bitcoin.com, that's the one thing I would recommend. Like, just don't don't listen to what Bitcoin.com says, because Bitcoin.com thinks that they're Bitcoin, but it's really just Roger Ver's website for Bitcoin Cash. And he was just disappointed that he got depreciated from Bitcoin. So his conversation was censored. And I understand that, yeah, he's a very emotional guy and one of the earliest investors in Bitcoin. Some people think he has like 300,000 Bitcoins. So like he's probably one of the wealthiest Bitcoin individuals there is, but he wasn't being listened to. And like the core developers and the community was sort of started to ostracize him because of his views on the size of like upgrading the block limit. Like he's not a developer. So he sh the theory was like he shouldn't be so vocal about the, the code. This is a free open source project. It's like, you know, one of the one of the major shareholders of Google or something trying to control how the Internet protocol mm -hmm. solves latency issues. It's just like it, there's no correlation between how much money you have. And like it, he was treating it more like a network marketing business. Like I introduced you to Bitcoin. Why aren't you listening to me? You're my downline in my Bitcoin, my Bitcoin network. Yeah. So don't listen to Bitcoin.com because they recently came out with this article saying that Bitcoin cash is Bitcoin. And they're trying to rebrand Bitcoin Cash as BTC. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just like uh, you're going to get very confused if you go to Bitcoin.com. But unfortunately, this is something the community is going to have to deal with because they, you know, if you search Bitcoin, they're one of the websites that pops up first, Bitcoin.com. Mm -hmm. So don't go to Bitcoin.com. Um, some some reputable sources like um, Coindesk.com has good information. I use them. Yeah. I, 
<clears throat> I'd go to um, you know, actually CNBC actually is running running these uh, fast money flips on YouTube where they've got different cryptocurrency investors. Those are really interesting. CNBC Africa has the Crypto Trader Show where they'll get different cryptocurrency investors on. That's a really good resource. And then CoinMarketCap.com. That's kind of where you can follow everything. Um, that's a really good resource as well. Okay, cool. Now, I've just got two more questions for you. Tons and tons of ICOs, hundreds of them, it sounds like, so far. You, I think you said over a thousand different types of coins. Um, mm -hmm. So money's coming in fast to fund all these. Do you think, and faster as, as the news starts covering all this stuff and people want to jump in so they don't miss the, you know, the, the gold rush, do you think there could be a risk of a bubble here? Yeah, so bringing that back to what you said earlier in the, in the intro of this one, you, you said that, you know, imagine you had invested in the internet itself right back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And then you said, hopefully this doesn't blow up like the dot-com bubble did. Mm -hmm. Well, it's probably going to do that, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so, you know, you, do you expect that to happen are, within the first five years or after the five yes, years? Yes, I do. I do for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so like you got to be fully aware that this, this could pop at any moment, but that's why I recommend people don't go all into cryptocurrencies, like mm -hmm. the next hot ICO or something, because you have to be aware that while we're still just a peanut right now, like the entire dot com bubble was I think two trillion or three trillion or something when it popped, or maybe even more. Like we're at 150 billion. Like we're just a speck right now compared to this massive bubble that the that the dot com bubble grew grew to. So it could go for another two years like this, where ICOs are just a common thing, and you'll start to see public companies actually switching to become ICOs, and you'll start to see more user adoption and like more like user friendly wallets where you can invest in an ICO straight from your bank wallet or whatever. Like this could go pretty big. And it could get to the point where like, you know, in the early days in like 2008, you know, you were the only one that you knew that had a Facebook account. And if you ask someone, do they have Facebook? They'd look at you with like some doubt because they didn't know what the hell Facebook was. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we're kind of like that now. Like I talk to some people, I say, Hey, do you, do you take Bitcoin? Like usually I just ask that question or do you know, do you have Bitcoin? Majority of the people answer me like, what's Bitcoin? So, so you know, I used don't to know use what it, it is yet. Yeah. People don't know what it is yet. Like, sure, we know what it is because we're like entrepreneurs and we're like plugged into the Internet and Internet marketing. And mm -hmm. we, we see ads that uh, like advertisers are advertising towards us. So we're, we're kind of like being retargeted online to mm -hmm. show us ads about Facebook or about uh, Bitcoin because that's what we're interested in. But like the average person right now does doesn't really know what Bitcoin is and they definitely don't know what Ethereum is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if you ask somebody hey, do you have Bitcoin? They'll probably say either like, oh, what's Bitcoin? Or like, oh, I heard of that. But if you ask someone like, do you have Ethereum? They're going to they're, they're gonna look at you like you're crazy because Ethereum is... So that's, a, that's one bubble indicator. It's like the average person is not aware of what this is right now. Mm -hmm. And once we start to get more and more people become aware of it, you will start to see like this bubble grow and grow and grow. Mm -hmm. And it could, it will pop at some point, but we don't know if it's going to be like a trillion dollars, $2 trillion, 300 million market cap. Mm -hmm. So I would just be cautious, like always be optimistically cautious about this market. You can have like life changing money be made from the cryptocurrency market right now. This is one of the greatest bull markets in, in history because it allows anyone that has access to the internet to invest whatever amount of money, 50 cents 
and turn it into like 30 bucks. Yeah. Right. That's never happened before. It's exciting, but it's also like, you got to be aware that this thing can grow really big and you can make a lot of money and then it can just all pop or it can even just grow just a little bit bigger and pop. So just be cautious about what you're investing in and don't go all in on one position. Yeah. And like, don't even put all, like if you're really excited by Bitcoin, don't put all your money in Bitcoin because you never know it could correct down to a thousand dollars. And then you'd be sitting in pain for like two years while we wait for it to grow back and mm-hmm. recover. So just be cautious about it. Follow proper risk management. Mm-hmm. And you know, you said like, if you, you know, Amazon was one of the ones that came out of the dot-com bubble and anybody who had invested in Amazon is like made more money than they could ever have dreamed of because of the way that the pop happened. And, and these few companies came up and grew to this massive amazing like wealth Mm -hmm. so there is going to be that with cryptocurrency so it's just a matter of like fundamentally researching and finding which which ones you think are going to be um are going to be worth something here in 10 years is it going to be the ico for the strip club in vegas or is it going to be the the peer-to-peer money right Right. like (laughs) you got to be careful what you put your money into and just follow proper risk management that's that's what i'd suggest yeah don't put anything in that you're not willing to lose at this point because it is it's high rewards high risk so yes it definitely final question for you brad i ask this of all the guests that come on in your case it's not as relevant because i have a feeling i know what you're going to say but if you can go back in time five years Okay. And you could talk to yourself. What would be the advice that you would give yourself? Five years ago, mm-hmm. I would say, um, <clears throat> you know, five years ago, it's a tough one because five years ago, I, I was kind of starting on this journey of like um, confidence in myself as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So I've had a lot of success in the past. I've been in the right time at the right place. I've, I've like, accomplished some dreams like I wanted to make a movie and I ended up going and making a movie and raised money from a Facebook thing to make a movie and then I had Facebook games that were making multiple seven figures for me and a few other partners and like along all the whole time along this whole journey I thought I wasn't good enough as an investor I always needed a partner you know I always needed somebody to like help me succeed so it wasn't until I started following uh, Tim Ferriss podcast and started getting really into like gratitude and uh, morning journaling and meditation and stuff that I was able to start to let go of some of that and um, start to believe more in myself as a solo entrepreneur individual. Right. So I would have told myself back then to start, you know, get the five minute journal and start just doing that and start meditating. And, uh, and then listen to like expose yourself to more um, f- philosophical books and stuff and, and just, just sort of try to build up some confidence as, a, as an individual rather than thinking I'm going to be needing so much help all the time. Yeah, that's a great answer. And, and also take all your money, invest it in Bitcoin and hold it until 2017 late. Yeah, at don't, least. Don't, don't sell your <laughs> thousand Bitcoins when it, when it gets too volatile. Yeah, that would take, have been a take it offline. <laughs> don't leave it in this. Uh, this. Yeah, don't, don't, put, don't leave it in Mount Gossi, <laughs> Perfect. So guys, <laughs> this, was been, this has been super awesome. I hope you guys have enjoyed. Brad, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're going to have you come on on a regular basis. If people want to reach out to you, you're in our Facebook group now, the new one that we had set up. Guys, I'm going to mention it again. You can get over to that Facebook group by going to ampmpodcast.com forward slash Bitcoin. And then for those of you that are Amazon sellers, private label, that's why you typically listen to this podcast. 
Well, I always want to mention that you guys head over to ampmpodcast.com forward slash resources, and that's where you'll get all the resources we use to generate seven figures every single year, all the tools and the tricks and techniques on how to rank stuff to number one and, and so forth. So, but I'm not going to talk about that too much because this is cryptocurrency, not Amazon. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Brad, thank you so much. And we'll, um, yeah, we're going to have you come on maybe once or twice a month. Is that, that's cool with you. Yeah, sounds great. All right. All right, man. Well, we'll talk soon. Thank you. You've been listening to the AMPM podcast hosted by Manny Coates. For more information, insider tools, and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit ampmpodcast.com.